Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Well, good morning, church. God is good? And all the time? Amen, amen. I'm so happy to be here with you. If you're visiting with us today, we, are, we want you to know you are our honored guest, and uh, we just love having you. Um, we do ask you pardon our plumbing a bit. Uh, it'll, uh, it'll work next time, you know? I, I like what, uh, what uh, Jeremy said about taking things for granted. We do sort of wake up thinking it's all going to be accessible to us, you know? And uh, I, I got to tell you, it's times at this, I'm thankful I live in a modern Western world because uh, I like water and I like water showing up to me instead of me showing up to water. So uh, a lot of good things there. Um, before we get to our lesson, I want to put a couple things on our horizon for us. Uh, the first is um, we're ending our series today in Ephesians, we're going to be moving on, looking at developing a way to make disciples. Um, uh, and I'm very excited about the upcoming uh, the series. Uh, in the sermon notes before you have a, a reference to a book. It's called Living God's Love, An Invitation to Christian Spirituality. Um, it's written by a guy by the name of uh, Gary Holloway and Earl Lavender, professors out of uh, Lipscomb University. I don't know if they're both still there now, but uh, associated with Lipscomb. They do a tremendous job of presenting a sort of discipleship 101 course. Right? Uh, and what I mean by that is it starts introducing Jesus and Christianity and Christian spirituality um, to people who you might refer to as outsiders. I, I know that's not a, a positive term and I try to avoid using it, but what I mean by that is people who are outside uh, looking in at the Christian faith, right? So um, it, it really does a great job of introducing what Christianity is about, what uh, Christian spirituality is about, um, and it is one of the best accidental evangelistic tools I've ever run across. Uh, and the reason for that is most people in our world today are open to quote-unquote spirituality. What they don't often realize is that Christian spirituality is not simply about practices. Christian spirituality is not simply about following rules or uh, rituals. Christian spirituality is done in relationship with Jesus. And so you really can't approach Christian spirituality without getting to know who Jesus is. And that's how this book operates. It begins by saying, who is Jesus? How do we get to know him? Um, how do we build this relationship? Before it introduces people to some of the spiritual disciplines like prayer, fasting, meditation, uh, scripture reading, and a number of other things that uh, it introduces people to. So it's very, very uh, fundamental, but it's also very enriching. And I, I, I promise you, if you read this book, um, if you get this book, it will bless your life. We're going to go through it. You don't have to buy it. I'm going to go through and, and basically uh, present material from it uh, in this series. But I would encourage you, if you could, to go ahead and purchase one. And if you would like one and you can afford one, please come see me. And we'll figure something out to make sure that uh, you can get one in your possession. Um, in the future, I can see this being a, sort of a gift to people who uh, decided to be baptized or just come to faith or uh, sort of things like this. Um, I, I think it's really important that a church not just speak, but 
also um, resource its people. And this is a great text to do that. So that's coming up. I'm very excited about that. Another thing I'm very excited about is Baptism Sunday. Now it says March 3rd. Uh, that was because I shifted the, the dates forward a little bit. I'm actually going to take two lessons and move them into one. So it's actually going to be February 24th. So I apologize about that. Baptism Sunday, our first one will be February 24th. Um, and again, this is a, simply a, a time where we're going to focus on baptism especially. Not that baptism isn't important all the time, or we're always willing to baptize people all the time, uh, but we want to really specifically focus on baptism on uh, February 24th. And so be telling your friends about this, but be telling your neighbors about this. It's a great discussion uh, piece. Uh, hey, our church is doing Baptism Sunday. Why don't you come and check it out? Have you ever been baptized? It's great dialogue opening, and you'll be surprised how many people have questions, want to know more, and uh, might just willing, uh, be willing to start a relationship with Jesus as a result of that. Amen? So, uh, February 24th, uh, that's up and coming. The next thing I want to point out is our Kingdom Committee. You guys should have gotten an email this week, um, sort of laying out what we're going to be doing as a committee. Uh, we're going to meet twice a month for about four months. Uh, sounds like a lot. It's eight, eight meetings, right? So it's not a great deal of time. And it's kind of spaced out because this is not going to be your classic, all right, let's get a whiteboard and figure out what's going on, right? Uh, we're going to actually do research. We're going to um, interview uh, church leadership. We're going to interview um, uh, and sort of a analyze the, the strengths of the church as a congregation here. And then we're also going to interview and um, ask questions of our community. Um, so that we can ascertain our local context in, in a real way, not just a, a way of, that we think it might be going. And so we're going to bring all that information together, press into it, and really do our best to do what Paul did with the church at Ephesus, to, uh, to really discover our kingdom concept. Um, thankfully, as I said in the past, and now as we transition to the lesson, I, I want to say it again, uh, we don't have to do this alone. We have God's Holy Spirit with us. We have the Word of God with us. We have leadership with us. And thankfully, we have an apostle who decided to do what we did or what we're doing uh, with the churches in Ephesus. You know, it's fascinating this week. I was talking to a friend of mine, sharing with him uh, another uh, a pastor across town um, who actually baptized someone here in our church last Sunday. Um, I was talking to him. I said, kind of sharing with him what I'm doing and, and how we're approaching it with, Ephes uh, with the book of Ephesians. Um, he actually uh, is a professor at Liberty University, um, a theology professor, and he's like, listen, he goes, that's spot on because most, most New Testament scholars believe Ephesians is written uh, because Paul goes into prison and he wants to make sure developing that church was still taking place. So it, it sort of becomes sort of a church planting um, guide or, or how to uh, that he sends to this church, and I'm like, that's exactly kind of the way we're approaching it, right? We're trying to understand our kingdom concept, but before we go do it, we want to see what it looked like for the New Testament church. How did Paul help the churches at Ephesus understand how to glorify God and make disciples? So just to kind of give us uh, sort of a little background on where we've been, let's, let's do a little bit of, uh, of, of review. We're, we're looking at Ephesus, and um, if you look at Ephesus, you, you recognize that this is sort of the center of the worship of the goddess Artemis, the center of... Uh, of a lot of pagan practices uh, back in the day, the center of magic, um, Ephesus was a, was a fascinating place. And uh, the church got its start here in, a, in an amazing way. Um, but the church, the people, Ephesus is broken. Because of the competitive kingdom, because of sin, 
because of, of people going their own way. And so when Paul opens his letter, he be, begins by praising God for his purpose, reminding us that God is bringing everything together uh, under Christ. Right. Uh, that's that's how he begins the letter, thinking about God's plan. And God's plan is a reunification process to bring all the stuff that is broken and separate and broken apart in the world because of a competitive kingdom and sin. He's bringing it together under Christ as king. That is the purpose. Um, God is, is getting humanity back into the place where we live under his loving rule and reign. Uh, with God, with each other, and with the world. That purpose was, was the purpose of the Ephesians church. That purpose is our purpose because of all the things that we get to fiddle with and adjust for our culture, purpose isn't one of them. God has a purpose for his church. And it's to join him in the reunification process of everything coming together under Christ. Now, um, Paul says this is true at the church of Ephesus, but they have to have an aspirational self-image of what that means for them and their context, right? The why for the journey is, is, uh, is, are the purposes of God. The what or the destination, well, they are to become, recall last week, a holy temple where God dwells by the Spirit. Um, and of course, this is very powerful, right? If you read Acts, uh, the, the account in Acts of, of the founding of the church in Ephesus, one of the very last lines is very clear. The city believed themselves to be the guardians of the temple at Ephesus. That is their aspirational self-image, right? When they understand how they understand themselves, we are the guardians of the temple of Artemis. And that brings clarity, and it brings purpose, and it brings motivation to them as a group. That's why the city clerk used that to, to quelch the, the, the sort of um, riot that was taking place. Now, imagine that. A city that thinks they're the guardian of the temple of Artemis, and now Paul tells them, now listen, you are to be the temple of God there. You can almost hear the words, let's get ready to rumble, right? I mean, you have the temple of Artemis on one side, and you have the temple of God on the other. And as we said, this is designed to inform them how they're supposed to be as a church in this city. They're to see themselves as a temple, a place where people experience God, a place where God's presence is experienced as a group, as a family. And as we said, that why that motivates them to work with God, bringing all things under Christ. It becomes a reality when they become this holy temple. But how do they get there? Right? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. How do they get there? Purpose is the why. Right? Why do we take the trip is the purpose. Um, where we're going, the destination, uh, is the vision. And the path we take to get there is the mission. So there's supposed to be a temple. What does that mean? How do they become this temple? How do they live faithfully as a temple of God in this place? Well, thankfully, the last three chapters of Ephesians is really written for that purpose. And there are three things that this temple will be true of this temple when they're living faithful to their purpose. Number one, there will be credibility. Number two, there will be probability. And number three, there will be availability. See if I can get this thing to work. There we go. 
Um, number three, it will be availability, right? Um, let me unpack those just for a second, right? What I mean by credibility is the church has to have a message that is as comprehensive as the crazy message of the pagans. Right? Ephesus has a message about how the world works, who the people are in that world, and how they are to live. It's called a worldview. Ephesus has a worldview. The church in Ephesus has to have a worldview and has to have a comprehensive one that is able to give meaning and purpose and direction to life of the citizens in Ephesus. Right? Um, this is not just God giving them a hand out. Christianity here is supposed to be an all-consuming worldview that they adopt. So how do they do that? Well, number one, they effectively communicate the truth. Ephesians 4, 1 to 16 is sort of like the doctrinal, uh, sort of the doctrinal dynamics of the early church in Ephesus. Right? Um, three numbers should come to mind. Seven, five, and one. Right? The seven ones. You guys remember that. Uh, there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. The five. Right? A fivefold ministry um, sort of platform. They were to hear this, these seven ones communicated effectively through apostles, and prophets, and evangelists, and pastors, and teachers. It's all right there in Ephesians 4.1. And the goal is to bring them all together, as Paul would say, in maturity under one head, who is Christ. See, Paul says, if you're going to be this temple, you have to do what the other temples do. See, the other temples give them an understanding of who they are, what they're about, and what they're supposed to be in the world. And you have to do so as well. See how important it is for them to know there is just one body? When they come from a culture where there says there's many. How it's so important for them to know of one God, one spirit, one, uh, uh, one father. All of those things, all those ones. Not just to get them together internally. But to make sure that they understand that opposed to the polytheism and, and the many ways that the world is communicating. There is but one. And they get to know this one God who is father above all. Through all. Uh, and his name is Yahweh, and his king is Jesus. It's the doctrinal import, right? And they have to have a message that is credible. That, that they have to present Christianity in Ephesus as something that is true. And I gotta tell you, that is not a popular sentiment even today. But Christianity isn't just good for you. It is true. Christianity doesn't just give you, uh, uh, meet your needs, even though it does that. Christianity doesn't just, um, you know, present a positive future, although it does do that. Christianity uh, doesn't, isn't just relevant, although it is. Christianity is also true. And that's what they have to get over to the, to the people at Ephesus. That there is just one God. Jesus is his king. And he's calling you to be his people. Um, so it's not just truth as opposed to error. It is one worldview supplanted by the true one. 
one comprehensive enough to bring them purpose and unity and direction. So one of the first things they have to do is effectively communicate the truth. The second thing they have to do is authentically demonstrate that this truth works. Right? It's not enough just to, to, to know theology, right? Orthodoxy. There has to be orthopraxy. There has to be a ring of authenticity about Christianity, right? It's not just that the math works out. It's that when we understand that God is king and we orient ourselves to a life of submission to him, that our lives change and we become different in the way that we're supposed to. Um, this is why he spends so much time talking about community here. Beginning in Ephesians 4, 17, and going all the way to um, Ephesians 5, or 6, verses 9, he addresses the sort of community that they're supposed to have. In the first section, he starts off talking about a new sort of holiness. You know, Mike was talking earlier in, the, uh, in communion about how grace isn't permission to sin. Paul would agree. Paul even uses a language that would connect them back to their, uh, their baptism in Ephesians chapter 5 and this idea of light. And say, your life now, as a result of coming to Christ, is to be different. You're supposed to be light. Uh, those who, of you who, who used to still, still no longer. Go to work. Those who lie, he would say, begin telling the truth. Those of you who wasted your life in needless addictions, now be self-controlled and spend your time where it matters with God. But he has to talk to more than just a category of people, the lost versus those who become found. He also has to speak to the foundation of society. Now, uh, in our country, uh, if you were to ask what is the foundation block of our society in the 50s and 60s, um, well, the 50s, <laughs> um, most people would say the family. Although in, in Western uh, cultures and in America, we've struggled to even see that as the foundation of our society. Now, now it's really the individual above all else. To thine own self be true. That is sort of like the, the basis of what our society wants to build itself on. But in, in an inclusive culture back in the, in the first century, uh, they didn't understand themselves as individuals. I know that's kind of weird to think about, but it was always community then. Um, you were always a part of a family. That was the most significant thing about you. And so when Paul wants to talk about the basis of community, he talks about how they move from the lostness to um, and their old pagan ways to life in Christ, but then he also addresses the household. Because the household is the basis of their community. Um, in fact, he's not the only one to do so. There's other uh, many writers in the first century and Roman rules had household codes by which to direct and to uh, inform how the Roman house and the Greek house and how the households were supposed to, to, uh, to work in harmony with them. Um, and so Paul, as a good church planner, says, listen, we got to have this authentic community. That means our, our lives have to change, but it also means we have to address the basis of community. We have to look at the household. And with a banner verse that, that bleeds into everything he says, he says, submit to one another. <coughs> now, 
I don't have to tell you probably how radical it is for the person who says the most important thing about your household is going to be mutual submission to one another. Before he says anything else, he says submit to one another. And then he begins to unpack that, what it looks like. He says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers, do not what? Provoke your children to wrath, but train them up. Masters, servants, you want to talk about a radical message. Love and respect each other. Right. So he what, he, what he's what he's what he's doing, what he's trying to do is say, listen, church, it's not enough to just proclaim a good message about the gospel and all that that means. It has to be it has to the, the plausibility of Christianity actually working is seen in the community. Right. Don't just give me your talk. Let me see your walk. Let me see how the gospel actually matriculates into a community. And i got to tell you, if, if people were to come into Ephesus and really see the sort of community that Paul was describing, a community where truth and love coexisted, where, where accountability and affirmation coexisted, where the name of the game wasn't who's in charge, but how do I serve one another, where love and respect was seen in every relationship in the basis of society, then the world would know something. Something is different about these people. They don't just believe in this grace and the love of God. It is alive in this community of faith. And I gotta tell you, churches, we need church, we need both of these. We don't just need to communicate well about the gospel. We have to have a loving, authentic community of love and respect and mutual submission. And then the world will know, as Jesus would say, because of your love. Um, but that's not the only thing they have to do. They have to also consistently engage the city. Uh, Ephesians ends with Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 20 is the main part there. But a section that we often have in our Bible and in many of our topical studies as spiritual warfare. How many of you guys have ever studied spiritual warfare before? Raise your hand. How many of you ever studied spiritual warfare and obviously go to Ephesians chapter 6, right? It's one of those seminal passages. And I love it, and that's a good place to go. But i got to tell you, because it's been shrouded in spiritual warfare, it almost has become, we've almost become blind to it, what it's actually trying to say. Um, we go to Ephesians uh, 6 for spiritual warfare because it, it makes a statement like this. It says, we don't war against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers and principalities. And, and from there, a lot of people who talk about spiritual warfare will jump and dovetail off of that passage. And next thing we know, we're talking about angels and demons and, and principalities and, and types of demons and Daniel 10. And, I mean, all this huge space out here about spiritual warfare. He wasn't all of a sudden in his, in his instructions to this church on how to be in Ephesus all of a sudden taking a, 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 making a right and then talking about some kind of cosmic ethereal reality. 
He says we don't war against flesh and blood because he's not asking them to pick up literal weapons to attack people in Ephesus. Right? He's reminding them we don't war against flesh and blood because flesh and blood are who we're supposed to be saving. You see the difference? It's not the category of thought that Paul's trying to get at. He's trying to say, um, like we said in the past, right? They were a recovering alcoholic who have to grow up and live in a bar. And the bar's out to get them. And now Paul is saying, and you have to get the bar. You have to love them. And you don't take up arms against flesh and blood. Right? We don't hate the world. We love it. Because Jesus loves the world. When the Bible talks about the world in a negative way, he's talking about the negative world view. Not lost people. Right? So let's remember that. When he's coming here, he's not all of a sudden saying, okay, and now let's talk about the demons you have to shoot out of the sky. No, he's not talking about that. He's saying, listen, you have to go to war, but you go to war for people, not against them. You're going to war for the bar, even though the bar is out to get you. You are the temple of God. And on the other side, there's a, there's a huge heavyweight called the temple of Artemis. And you are not allowed to hang out outside the arena saying, I wish someone would get in there and get them. It's you. That's why he doesn't give us literal weapons but a helmet of salvation and a breastplate of righteousness and truth and feet shod with the preparation of running away because you're scared? No. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. He ends the sermon not by saying, look out for the devil. He's saying, you better get in there and you better fight and you better engage and you better continue the work we did when we first started there. Because when we first started there, the gospel was so powerful that even the industry, silver industry, was up in arms because everyone was beginning to believe there is just but one God. And that's the fight he wants them to stay in. The fight that's local. The fight that's in their city. So if I were to sort of use a pictogram uh, to, to sort of describe what this looks like, right? We've already said this. There's Ephesians in the background. There's a temple in the background. The purpose is everything is coming together under Christ as king. They are to be a holy temple because there's a temple there having another lie and worldview that's sending people to hell. And we need to have this worldview that's bringing people to Christ. And now they have a way to do mission. Now they are called to communicate effectively preaching the truth. They are to have a, a community of love that, that not just, uh, it's not just self-help. It is a community that says, because we believe this truth, our lives have changed. And we have to be engaging our community. Um, right? Oh, go back one, please. We have to engage our community. 
That's Ephesians. That's what Paul has been doing and is doing with this church who is struggling because their, their founding apostle has found himself in prison. He writes this epistle to remind them, yes, you're in a very, very dark place in many regards, but God loves this place. And God's after this place. And God is trying to bring all things under the headship of Christ. And so understand, Ephesians, you are God's holy temple where he dwells by the Spirit. And you need to do what those temples do in the culture, which is provide a worldview that says there is but one God in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And you have to uh, not just talk a good game. You have, to, you have to allow the Word of God to transform your life so that people, when they come in and they see, they're not just hearing the truth, they see the truth in your life. That this truth is changing you. That the light that is transforming you from within and you have to stay engaged and not separate yourself from, from the community that wants to take you and consume you. Three things I want to say about this as it applies to us. Number one, isn't it interesting that Paul follows the same up, out, and in that we talked about in the past, right? The communication, the worship, and, and the communication of the body together, the act of worship, the communal act of worship, and communication of the word of God with prophets and apostles and all that, the, the vertical aspect of relationship he's talking about with communication. The internal uh, uh, dynamics, which is the uh, human one-to-one uh, relationship, and of course, our attitude toward the outside. There is an up, there's an in, there's an out to his to the way he's shaping them and asking them to think. I think that's very significant. And I think our church has to do the same. I think we have to have a very real understanding of what it means uh, to, to have an impactful, good communication of the truth in our worship services, in our times of, of study, in our times of communication. That needs to be good. Um... Sometimes you go into churches and you want to be a part of the community because the preaching stinks. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. The worship just is not very inspiring. And so what that church tries to do is get everyone involved in the community because it's like, hmm, that's not really doing what it's supposed to do over here. Sometimes there's great preaching, but you go in and like, there's no love in the church at all. Like there's just bitterness and rivalries and all sorts of chaos unfolding in tension. And you pray to God that they hear the message and, and, you know, ignore the people behind the curtain. You know, just, we have to have both of those. Amen? Good teaching. Good community. And this is especially true for us as a tradition. We have to stay in the game. We can't give up on our local context. We, we, let me just unpack this for you, right? Churches of Christ, um, they're, where they grew the most was in basically the 1950s. Uh, a little bit into the 60s, the 1950s and 60s. There was, it was huge growth um, as, a, as a heritage, as a tradition. Um, part of that was because of migration. You know, we talk about migration from different countries. Um, Churches of Christ are a southern movement. Do y'all know that? I mean, that explains Germany, right? Where's that? Right? Um, right? Southern. 
right? Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, by and large, uh, Churches of Christ are a southern movement. Uh, Christian Church and, and Disciples of Christ are more northern. Um, and uh, when you trace when you trace the Churches of Christ and their movements, they go out to California uh, because of the grace of wrath, basically, right? And so there's this large southern movement to go into California to get work. I was talking to Bruce, what, two weeks ago? And Bruce, Bruce was telling me that uh, sometime... Here, I don't know what the years were, but because of the factories and industry, a lot of people from the south moved up into the north to work for, um, for the industry there, right? That's why we have a lot of southerners in, in Yankee territory, right? <laughs> That's how it works, right? So um, most of our growth came because we transplanted the southern churches of Christ into these other areas. And for a time, when our culture, especially in California, when culture still looked like Churches of Christ, we were pretty effective. But then, um, there's a reason they call it the left coast and not the west coast, right? So, culture is radically different in the west than it is the south. And as a result, churches began to lose effectiveness in their evangelism. And they begin, and this is really important, they begin, instead of seeing themselves as for their communities and for their, their cities, they begin to see themselves as an oasis in the wilderness. I actually tried out for a couple churches in California that came out and told me, we're not really interested in evangelizing our community. We see ourselves as an oasis are people who've moved in the other in the area, churches of Christ members, who are who are, who are scared, you know, and offended by the culture, and they need a place to go. I've had other churches intimate as much, and so um, one that's in the heart of LA, they see themselves. They're not they're not really interested in evangelism door-to-door, any kind of thing like that at all. It's just a lot of people come to this city because they hope to make their way in Hollywood and so on and so forth. And so come to our church and you can find people like you. You know, I went to Costco in, uh, was it Avon? I had that feeling. Like, so I'm, obviously I'm not from around here, right? And so uh, I go to different places in Ohio and some places are so different than California. And I'm like, well, this is really weird. Like, you know, why is there, <laughs> why is there uh, Barbecue hot wing sauce and everything. I don't understand what's going on, right? And um, well, why is there so much pizza? Um, when you go to Costco, it felt like home because Costco looks exactly like California, right? And I, I found myself smiling, like, oh yeah, I know where I'm at now, right? And I even found the recliner that I had in California. They were selling it there. I'm like, babe, come back later. I'll be here. You know, and I sat in their recliner. So long, the manager's kind of walking by and looking at me. Anyways, right? But that's, that's, that's kind of the missional attitude that churches have, have developed. Like, we will make sure that we are reaching other Church of Christ members when they come into town. And so they're very comfortable. They'll, they'll, they'll fit right in. And they'll smile. And they'll be comfortable. And we'll be a Church of Christ for them. And then, you, you know this is true, right? Because you've heard that argument. We can't change our name. If we change your name, what happens when someone in the Church of Christ from across town comes in and they don't hear the name Church of Christ? 
They won't know where to go. How many have heard that argument before? Nothing wrong with wanting to be hospitable. But think about the theology behind that. We're really most concerned about us. And making sure the people like us over there are comfortable when they come over here. That's oasis. That's the power of vision. If your vision is, we're going to make it really comfortable for Church of Christ people, you may grow, but guess what they will be? They will already be the same Church of Christ people. We, we, we opt out of the city because we're scared of it. And then we organize ourselves to be appealing to other Church of Christ members, and then we lament, what's wrong with the world? That's why I love you guys. Let me read something to you. Um, this isn't scripture, but this is Brian Watts, so it's close. <laughs> If you haven't gathered yet, Brian is, Brian is like the nicest guy I know, legitimately. And he's very articulate. And he's one of the reasons I even, people ask me, why'd you come to Ohio? I get that a lot. And like, why here? And then why this? And let me read to you one of the reasons I, I looked at you guys and it was like, oh, this is awesome. This is the ad you had in the Harding School of Theology. New Beginnings is a Church of Christ less than an hour west of Cleveland, Ohio. Our membership is diverse in experiences from rural to metropolitan, from new believers to veterans in, in the faith, young families to seniors, and everything in between. We are seeking a gifted minister who is interested in seeing our church body become equipped. Ephesians 4 says it, and he quotes Ephesians 4, and he goes, Our challenge is to connect with our confused and lost world. Yes! That is the challenge. No doubt about it, church. Our challenge is to connect with our confused and lost world. And we need your help. Christ commands us to go and tell. Yet scripture cautions us that while we're in, uh, we're in the world to be not charmed to become of it. If you were to worship with us, you would. And this is what really, really just grabbed my heart. It says, if you were to worship with us, you could sense that we have, um, that we have one foot firmly planted in our cherished traditions and another foot planted in change adapting and learning and leaning forward to connect with a new generation. Oh, come on. You know how unique that ad is among our brethren? Most of them say, this world is a scary place. We've been doing it the same way for 50 years. And if you're not interested in doing it the same way we've been doing it for 50 years, don't show up. And then they die. And they wonder, what happened to us? The world won. No. You stopped fighting. You started making the church about you instead of about the world. That's why I love this place. Because you guys have already done a lot of the heavy lifting that goes into making a church where they actually are on mission again. Do you realize most of the people in our community don't go in their car and turn on hymns? Do you know that? They're not, they're not going into Ziggy's and saying, hey man, play Amazing Grace again. 
They're playing rock and roll. And then they come into a church and they hear songs that were literally written in the 1600s. And I'm not, doubt, I'm not dissing it. I'm just saying, there's a difference. Do you see the difference there with night with Eben Pinion, right? Like, what is a night? What is Eben Pinion? What is an Ebenezer? What is, I mean, it doesn't even communicate half the time. And I'm not saying we go away from hymns. I think we should embrace them and, and do them good and do them right, right? But I love the fact you guys are also working in some instrumental music. Because now I can tell my friend, hey, you know what? There's a spiritual battle going on. You know what? If you turn it over to uh, the fish, you can turn on some Christian music. It'll help you in your battle from Sunday to Sunday. It's one of the reasons I love this church because we live, if you haven't noticed, um, we have female CEOs, female senators, female congressmen and women, female uh, owners of businesses, managers, professors, firefighters, soldiers, one day even a president. We live in an egalitarian world. And they come into a church where women are only allowed to do potluck. Seriously? That's actually unbiblical. What we've done with women the last 20 years in the Church of Christ is not just tradition, it's unbiblical. So they need to come in and say, you know what? I can be part of this too. I can be part of that too. I lead here, I can lead here. And you know what? A lot of times the reasoning that we don't is because, and I love this church because one of the things, one of the things that told me right away that this church wasn't going to be struggling with this is because they all told me it's like, everyone kind of hates us. <laughs> no, not those words, like, but basically like oh, a lot of the other churches don't want to play, play with us anymore because we're different. And, and it wasn't like, so we've got to get back into playing with them. It was like, and that's okay because we're not trying to be church for them. We're not trying to be, the church of Christ in Amherst isn't trying to reach Vermilion. It's not trying to reach any other church of Christ. Our goal isn't to make it comfortable for our church of Christ, friends. Our goal is to be in the fight for this city. And this city is full of people who are waiting to hear a message that makes sense to them. That's why I love this church. And that's why, and, and please hear this too. And I know I'm preaching over, but it's okay. You didn't do Bible class, so listen. <laughs> um, I, I'm, this is not a numbers thing for me. I'm not saying we got to get, we got to get 500 people. I don't care about that. What I care about are outsiders. Right? I, 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 it, at the end of the day, if we only show up with the people that we have, I think there's a parable about that once. Lord, you trusted me with one, and here's your one back. Right? And so it's not about numbers. 
In fact, I, I think maturity means that a church doesn't just grow bigger and bigger and bigger because then it gets an ego and has all sorts of issues. I, I really think mature things reproduce. Wouldn't it be awesome? Think about this. Wouldn't it be awesome that we, we get up to about 250 here and then we decide, we decide planting a church somewhere close that doesn't answer to us but becomes what they need to be for their city to bring the kingdom of God? Wouldn't that be awesome? Be awesome. That's why I love you guys. Because you remind me of this story. And this is the end. Anybody recognize this? What's that? Yes. Awesome, right? I was hoping someone would catch that. Uh, Harry Potter? Actually, it's not. It's where they do, it's, they filmed it there. Anybody want to take another guess? It's Oxford. Right? It's one of the grand halls in Oxford. Oxford had its founding in about 1370. It's, it's fascinating. I think you guys are old. I hear like there's cities that are 200 years old. California's like a, you know, 50 or whatever. Uh, it's really young. There's not a lot of older places. Out here it's like 200. And like my house is 100 years old. And I'm like, whoa, you know. Um, 1370-ish is when they founded this college back in the day. And if you see at the top, all that beautiful oak and, 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 and work up there. So in about the 1800s, uh, they get a guy because, you know, things begin to happen. All of a sudden, what's this on the desk? And beetles. Uh, and apparently, oak, if they're long enough, they're going to get beetles. It's, it's kind of like men, if we live long enough, we're going to get prostate cancer. Um, <laughs> apparently, oak trees will get beetles if they're out there long enough. And th there was a big problem, right? So what do you do with that? And not only is there a problem, is that those oak beams were built from massive oak trees. And it takes a while to build an oak tree that long, grow an oak tree that long. And so they were, at a, they, were, they were struggling. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And in an institution that is, at that time, almost 500 years old, you, you, there's a lot of things that people started they don't know about. And sure enough, the groundskeeper, um, uh, they would pass on the groundskeeper mantle to the next groundskeeper. Next, and uh, when they went to the groundskeeper and said, hey, we're going to have to replace our oak. What are we going to do? They finally said, ah! We were wondering when you were going to come and talk to us. Because the same person that actually created this, this, uh, this ceiling also planted a, a, a whole grove of oak trees 400 years earlier. Because he knew oak trees are eventually going to have beetles. And so they had what they needed. It was planted 400 years earlier. You guys are the oaks. I'm, I am not over-exaggerating this point. You are unique among churches of Christ. I feel like God has finally allowed me into a group of people that are prepared for the future and growth and prepared to be on mission again. And I don't have to go, we don't have to go through all the old fights just to get us ready for a world. All we got to get ready to do is go. 
I believe God is, 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 is raising up you, this church, for such a time as this. And wouldn't it be awesome, Roger, wouldn't it be awesome if we started another page in the histories of the churches of Christ where just massive scores of people began coming to faith and they begin to look at us and say, what did they do? How did they do it? How is the Spirit of God moving in this place? Let's all be standing. I want to send you away with a song that you'll be able to turn on the radio and hopefully send here sometime this week. And I think what it does is remind us to stay in the fight. Can you turn it up?
Let's pray. You can go ahead and turn it down. Father God, thank you so much. And I, I, Father, there is greater things to be done in this city. Amherst is lost. There's a lot of lost people out there. A lot of lonely people. A lot of desperate people. A lot of people who've bought in to the lies of the competitive kingdom. And God, I, I just help us, Father. Help us to put on the spiritual armor. Help us to recognize that we're not battling against flesh and blood. We're not, the people aren't the problem. The people are the people we love. Help us stay engaged. Help us to ask, how does this communicate to them? Before we ask, does it make me feel comfortable? God, we are so privileged to be able to work with you and your purposes. Thankful that our salvation isn't just an end, but a means to be a part of what you're up to in the world. Father, help us to bring everything together under Christ. Help us to discern what our vision should be here at Amherst. Would you give us insight in this kingdom committee that, that we fold? Would, would you give us courage and insight and direction? Holy Spirit, would you make this place shake with your presence again? And Father, would you help us discover a way to get to where we need to go, to communicate the truth, to bring credibility to the Christian faith, to be an authentic community where truth and love exist, where change and acceptance coincide. Would you help us stay in the fight? Your lost children are all around us. And you want us to find them and bring them home. Greater things, God, for this city through your church at Amherst. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.